Hi. I got a tape I want to play. Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? Your move, creep. Take me to the volcano! So why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? Come with me if you want to live. This town needs an enema. Like I said, I need a bacchiatomy. Yes, that's a human ear, all right. I got a bad feeling about this. So it's come to this, where sequels are king. Oh, baby. We love a good sequel <laughs> we here. We love a good sequel. You know, we do. We do. We talk about a lot of sequels here. Sometimes yeah. before ever talking about the original. It's it's due to timing. It's all yeah. timing issues. Yeah. We're, we're not trying to be different. We're just looking for, uh, we're looking to finalize our lists, finalize <laughs> our, you know, looking for the best. We want to give all contenders hey, a You shot. wanted the best, you got it. I'm Charlie. I'm Eric. This is a movie podcast. We and- got it chance to see a couple of sequels in the theater because our cult series returned our local cult film series the cult film series at the roxy 14 yeah first one in 15 16 months something like that yeah. uh yeah we had our our socially distanced uh double feature on the big big screen i don't remember the last movie i saw oh. in the huge screen i was telling there. rachel i was like i don't i know we must have seen like us and whatnot but yeah, I don't. I really didn't remember the theater's new layout with the big seats. Oh yeah, because yeah, yeah it had been so long since I'd been in there. It was us would be it probably it. Yeah, yeah, they did a Miyazaki one that I went to. Oh yeah, I missed that, that one. That was on there. So, but that was. But it's been a while. That was like two in years the big ago. Theater. Yeah. So I was glad to get that get that was, experience back. I was hoping we'd get it because I knew it was going to draw because we got to see Nightmare on Elm Street two, which we did an episode yes. on like. Go back three, four months ago. Go back probably. and uh, yeah, find that find that episode. But I've never seen it before in the theater. Sure, you know it's funny now that I've seen it in the theater, uh, which we saw it last night with Exorcist three, which will be the bulk of the episode. But right, uh, I think Freddy two is probably the most like the one I've seen the most now <laughs> out of all so? the Freddy movies because <laughs> I watched it and then we watched it for our you know movie sure. thing and now I've watched I'm like. I'm pretty sure I've seen this movie like five times <laughs> well, now. Definitely within the last few years. It's been yeah. loaded up recently, It's been loaded right? up. I've seen the first one three or four times. <laughs> the third one. I think it's just the first one was spread out twice. over such a longer yeah. uh, period. But man, in the last like two years, I've seen <laughs> Freddy 2 like five times. I mean, the only two I've seen more, <laughs> if any, are either the first one or Dream Warriors. Yeah. I've definitely seen it way more than the rest of the series combined. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, it's at least it's, third most with me. I don't know if I'm bragging about yeah, that. Yeah, it's or... <laughs> just more, I guess I'm kind of fun realizing fact. how familiar I am with it. Yeah, it's now. a fun fact. Now you know Feels like about I've us. seen it a lot now. Uh, but still great. Uh, still had a lot of fun watching it. How did it How did it change your opinion seeing it on the big screen? Up, down, uh, anything uh, you noticed more? I don't know. Yeah, I, I would say up, if anything. Uh, the set pieces, I always loved the the opening bus nightmare. Yeah. And how silly it looks with the miniature bus <laughs> on the That's pillar. That's a cool set. The and, rocks falling. Uh, it looked great on the big screen. Uh-huh. Uh, it was super loud. So all that just like sharp metal yes. finger scratching was like just really the finger intense. scraping was nice and effective. Uh, I really noticed the like whale sounds coming through this time. <laughs> like the whole last half of the movie is got a soundtrack that's like, whale sounds under it it's like what the hell very strange um and yeah it was uh i really i really got into uh to grady this time oh yeah on this viewing i'm more and more of a big grady fan total yeah he has a scene where he storms out of a cafeteria with his mouth full of food this whole scene he's talking with his mouth full yeah, you can't even understand what he's like saying. Like what I'm, what we wanted Charles Durning to be in Dark Knight of the Scarecrow with his plate of food. Grady <laughs> right. is just inhaling this like this cafeteria burger and fries, and got like four milks. Yeah, in front of him, this guy's just put. He is carbo loading, but he looks like he's got two like two giant marshmallows in his mouth. Yeah, man, just like, it doesn't even match food the food and, on and, the tray, <laughs> and just talking through it, and he does this storm out. Through a mouthful of food. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen. It's, it's tough to storm out of a room with a mouthful of unchewed food. Mm-hmm. That is a difficult spot to leave with dignity. 
And Grady, I think, pulls it off. He wills his way through that full mouth storm off. Uh, yeah, I just really, uh, I also really got into Lisa's performance, uh, mm. Kim Myers. I, I like the Lisa character because she was given some tough uh, plausibility situations to be in. Yeah, her, and her acting yeah. was strong enough that you're buying this girl being. Uh, Letting this guy get this long a leash on his murders. Yeah, her pursuit of Jesse romantically is like <laughs> a little far fetched yeah. when you see just how he stonewalls her. Look at her. these signs. Yeah. Look at these red flags. Yeah. Lisa. Well, and when your man comes to you covered in blood saying, I killed Brady, <laughs> don't be like, no, you. this can't be happening. I we'll get, figure this out. My like, reaction now to that call scene the police. is just, I get kind of angry and jealous. Because I was like, man, I wish I knew anybody who I could show up to just bloody as hell. Being Mm -hmm. like, I did it again. I knew (laughs) it would happen again. I killed him. And I'm saying this as I'm walking through their wide open door and they're like putting a blanket on me. Just like, I knew it would happen. Covered in wet, sticky blood. I knew they weren't just dreams. And for them to be just like, come on, walk me through it. <laughs> like, wow, <laughs> not a single person in my life. You don't have that accomplice. I don't think I have uh, that level of trust in anybody. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a sucker. So I think I could be talked in. Well, the whole movie is like Freddy gets defeated by love. Yeah. That's a, that's a hard <laughs> final battle when it's like you got to have him kind of attack her, but also she's got to get in there for a kiss and like. Just, yeah, just smooch him to death, it was essentially. De- yeah, kind of tongue kiss him a bit more. That whole end, but but it's I love the fire effect at the end. And sure. It, well, it, the melting it, it is good. Had the, I liked uh, it. it had the same kind of Pennywise effect where you, you still have to not be afraid of him. Mm-hmm. That that hurts him. But also now you have to like find him kind of hot. <laughs> so... <laughs> Just like with Jesse, you got to look through the bad stuff, yeah, man. Yeah, man. Because you love this guy. It is such a devoted performance to yeah. give to a young actress, a young Meryl Streep. And she does really well with it. She's She's got some good uh, good anguish in mm-hmm. this. I, I, I really liked her. Really liked the buddies. Really was shocked every time how much Clue Gulager is in it. This is the most Him? Yeah. dad we get in any of these movies. I, it did kind of strike me. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> there's like seven scenes with the parents yeah. in this movie. I mean, I know you got Hope Leg, and Hope Leg looks great. Oh, what yeah. a great movie mom. Yeah. One of her, maybe her best of the uh, yeah. genre movie mom looks. I love Hope Lang in this. But it really alarmed me in the theater. Just like... Man, how much are they in it? Mm-hmm. When have we ever gotten this much parental involvement in any of these kind of movies? Yeah. It did also feel like you could tell, even though this is only like an 87-minute movie, like so much stretching going on. <laughs> Jesse just walking around the hallway, slowest yeah. walking you could imagine a guy doing. And then, yeah, all these scenes with Clue and them, like, why do we have to have the toaster catch on fire? Like all these little bits and pieces where you're just like, yeah. Is this padding? The stuff where they're doing the poltergeist mm-hmm. things that really comes off odd. Yeah. <laughs> they like they get like yeah, they had like a seventy two minute cut. They're like, shit, we can't sell <laughs> no, this. Can't, this can't happen. <laughs> we gotta do something else. <laughs> we gotta yeah. Do something, something with the bird. I don't in. know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh that kind of stuff stood out more uh, on the big screen with a with a group of people hearing hearing others react to a movie. Right. Never seen it with more than a few people you know and so certain stuff played really great and uh, i still think the scarier stuff hit more scary than it's ever hit before especially i guess when i'm thinking of of lisa's best scene it's that big scary confrontation with freddy freddy's that's when he's at his most threatening are you talking about in the boiler room at the end or All of even it. before that? Any, any yeah. of her interactions with him once she kind of takes over as the main character. Mm-hmm. Uh, once once, uh, once uh, Jesse's been taken yes. again by Freddy. He's inside me. He's inside and he him. Wants and he's going to take, take me, again. me again. 
Once that happened, yeah, <laughs> for good, yeah. All I think once she was carrying the movie, I thought it ended very strong mm. because of that. Once she became the focus, uh, so yeah, yeah. I the this- ending was great. There's a great shot, like the, the big wide shot, looking down at her coming into the boiler room or the or the power plant. Yeah, I was like, whoa! I don't remember that being such a grand shot. Cool boiler room. Yeah. Cool big uh, old abandoned that whole factory. Ending. Yeah. That looked like, incredible on a big screen. The the yeah the the weird baby faced dogs and the <laughs> weird cat rat Odd. moment played off really like oh yeah those were like yeah so much so much weird shit. <laughs> it's weird. It's weird. It's a weird movie. Now is it weirder than Exorcist three though? Exorcist three is a different kind of. It goes for something different. Yeah. I get the camp comparisons with Elm Street two because you do have. Mark Patton's performance has campiness. Mm. I noticed something. I don't know why this made me laugh this time. I never noticed this before. In the great shower scene after the S&M club, mm-hmm. the shower heads start spurting on when he's hitting the showers, right? right? One after another. And Mark Patton does like a head reaction to every new (laughs) faucet coming on (laughs) instead of just like, okay, be kind of like in awe of like what is happening. It's just like, like pivoting his head around the room to each one. (laughs) It's just like, man, there's so much stuff like that. In a scene where he's already like slept, walked to a bar, had his coach uh, basically kidnap him, make him run some laps, and then get into a shower. Now the weird shit's happening. Mm -hmm. What? 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 Yeah, Yeah, it's already this weird, surreal dream state that it's not... We don't know if it's a dream. That whole bar scene, I think they were... I think they intentionally made it dreamlike. Oh, yeah. And... uh, uh, Yeah, I still couldn't say for sure, like, what all is, is real. Yeah. And and that felt really cool mm-hmm. on the big screen. So yeah, if anything, I liked it uh, more. It's a movie that I, again, as we've pointed out, we've seen among <laughs> the most of our Elm Street viewing. But Exorcist Three, uh, this was oh, a boy. movie we were gonna see in the theater sixteen months ago. Oh yeah, yeah. This huh. was gonna be playing the week like April twenty twenty. This right? was announced. Yeah, and I was very excited. I was like, oh, this is great. I've been looking for an excuse to see this again and talk about it. And uh, then it got canceled. And then they at least brought it back for the very first showings. Exorcist 3. I did not want to then watch it throughout the pandemic because I wanted to see it on the big screen. Mm -hmm. That's how I wanted to see this movie again. I'd seen it once before and didn't know how good it was the first time I saw it. I just... You know, watch horror movies. Right. And watch some sequels. I've watched the second one too, and it's not good. That's that one's divisive. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen the second one. It's okay. But it's not as terrible as as it says. But I also like the Amityville sequels. So right. my bar is, you know, I like shit. But <laughs> <laughs> Exorcist Three, I didn't know was actually. Uh, I thought it was more like The Omen Three. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, sure. Final Conflict. Something like that. I didn't know it was an actual good movie. I don't know if when I saw it, it had the rep of being a good movie. When did you see it? I'm curious. Was it long, long ago? Over a a decade. Okay. Because I feel like a decade ago, it got kind of a rediscovery. Yeah. But I also feel like even maybe in high school... My the I took a film that we had a film class in high school. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like the teacher there was like talking about it. And he was re- a real blatty head. Yeah, huh? I, I feel like there was this, this. Yeah, maybe it didn't, it didn't quite get the recognition. A real at the time. George C. Scott uh, fanatic. Well, it was like, uh, but then everyone always talked about the giant scissors. That's the only thing anyone would talk about. Yeah. So I had this image of just like Pink Floyd esque, like walking scissors chasing <laughs> someone down a hall, like before I ever. They saw have it. more of a Geiger in Dead Ringers. Totally. Vibe to him. Yeah, it's like a medical Like if Geiger instrument. did uh, giant gardening shears. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I guess it, it so had it a rep, had that, rep that maybe yeah. I didn't know about. And so I'm going in expecting something pretty third movie in a series kind right. of deal. And right away, you see the cast. Oh, man, <laughs> this like, cast. It is filled by the what? The f- it felt like we just were getting... 
page after page and screen after screen of four actors at a time. Just 30 actors deep. Mm-hmm. Eight pages in, it's like, oh, Zora Lampert. What? Like, right. holy cow. Like, that one I didn't who, remember. Who is in this? Kevin Corrigan. <laughs> like, yeah, you've got like, all these. Uh, this movie stars George C. Scott. Yeah. Um, but it's got guys like Brad Dorif, and it's got, uh, yeah. Yeah, it brings back uh, Jason Miller. Brings Yeah, who's in the original Exorcist. Uh-huh. It's got Ed Flanders, the distractingly named Ed Flanders. <laughs> no relation, I have to assume. <laughs> Who is, uh, he was like the main guy in St. Elsewhere. Oh, okay. One of the huge 80s dramas. Nice. So he probably did this right coming right off of that huge show. And yeah, this yeah, is what, 1990? 90, yeah, so that would have been yeah, yeah. at the end of the run. And Scott Wilson, who is a, a kind of a blat, a lot of blatty regulars. Right. If uh, we count his other movie the, the from a decade earlier, The Ninth Configuration. So what is this guy? He was a novelist and then just yeah. made a couple movies. So William Peter Blatty wrote the original Exorcist. Yes. Obviously, that guy won, ma- won an Oscar for the screenplay. Oh, he wrote this, and then he and wrote the, the screenplay. screenplay. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, maybe he didn't like Exorcist 2. I th- he did like not like Exorcist 2. So he wanted he to wanted make this to make one. His, his true vision. And he did not even want to do exorcisms. He wrote Legion. Yes. That was his, his next This his is next based novel. on his novel Legion. Yeah. And he just wanted it to be called Legion. But the way it got made and got a good budget was to call it Exorcist 3. And sometimes Exorcist 3 Legion. Depending right. on the playing. And... We saw the theatrical version. Yeah, we've I've not seen the, the director's release. cut, but the theatrical cut is is a powerful movie and a real uh, acting masterclass oh, kind yeah. of thing. Uh, a lot of great New York actors and then other just East Coast feelings to it. The kind of movie you could see Al Pacino chewing up uh, in a different way. Yeah, it's a huge performance. With many other huge performances in small doses, it's a impressive and ambitious movie for a guy who's primarily an author to make. And just like uh, the Ninth Configuration was the exact same way, a thing that could read like a stage play mm-hmm. in a lot of scenes. Like we didn't have to have tons of different scenes. You could see this as a stage play. It played a lot of one-on-one acting. And Ninth Configuration just had a bunch of incredible actors, many of which are in Exorcist 3. Scott Wilson and Stacey Keach were the leads. And guys like Joe Spinell, Tom Atkins, Richard Lynch, Mm. all cool guys just getting this really well-written material to act with. And that's what Exorcist 3 feels like. These guys are doing Shakespeare in a horror movie. Literally talking about Macbeth. Yeah, is your in, you know, one of your introductions to George C. Scott? Yeah, there's so much like dialogue in here that doesn't seem like it should belong in a police procedural. No, for a, a movie that, is, that could be Manhunter, it is uh-huh. like this weird introspective uh, Manhunter. Yes, you know. <laughs> yeah, because it's also yeah, it's basically a procedural for the first at least half of the movie. There's some weird scenes that play like if Terrence Malick were doing Manhunter. <laughs> sure. Or David Lynch or doing Order. Manhunter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just a, a weirder, deeper director. And I guess that's why it's so impressive that Blatt, Blatty himself directed it. He has a real touch for some yeah. incredible shots. It's very cinematic. It's yes. It looks great. Uh, it builds tension through visuals. It It's... Truly, one of the creepiest movies, very much I've ever it's, seen. It's powerful. the The theater was pretty, uh, I would say, responsive during Elm Street Two. Mm-hmm. You know, Having a lot of joking, a lot of laughing, fun movie. The serious scenes in Exorcist Three, man, I was like, "Am I chewing too loud?" <laughs> Feels like the theater know, right? can hear me chewing my Mike and Ike's. I know. I'm over here like shuffling my M and M's, like, "Oh, maybe geez. I shouldn't be doing this." Like when <laughs> when a cut when. When there is an intense monologue happening in Exodus 3, man, it felt like the entire theater was like eyes dead ahead. Absolutely. But it, also, it felt I, intense. I also did not remember because I'd seen this once uh, a few years ago. Okay. Uh, quite enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have it on Laserdisc, so nice. I watched it. Um, but uh, I didn't remember it being so funny in the first half hour, okay. too. 
man, I don't remember that either. I do not remember any of that tone. And so yeah. I didn't know if we were getting the theatrical or the director's cut. I was in the bathroom when they announced which cut oh, it was. Oh, okay. And so I was like, I don't remember this. Is this the kind of weird shit that they cut <laughs> out of the theatrical cut? Am I getting these weird? Because some of these scenes that I don't remember really felt like, let's just keep them rolling. Uh-huh. George C. Scott and uh, Flanders are funny. Like they're they're uh, they're having a good good old boys chat. They were great. It oh, felt man. like just a. It felt <laughs> when I found a Cohen's interview explaining why the director's cut of Blood Simple is shorter mm. than uh, the theatrical cut. Their main gripe was we just felt a few of the scenes went on a bit too long. What I love about Blood Simple are its scenes that go on a bit <laughs> too long. Yeah. But the vibe with <laughs> George C. Scott talking at a cafe with Flanders is like, is it? Was this written? Or is this supposed to be happening? Are they just? This feels like an extra. Well, it, it feels like they are just riffing. It's like, uh, are, are we doing a character study here? Like yeah. you're really getting like very much. Uh, the, the priest versus the detective, you know, rationality versus faith and, and all that kind of, but tucked within like a casual conversation. Well, the conversation and the jokes keep going and it looks like they're trying to make each other laugh right. on screen and Ed Flanders does clearly laugh on screen, but it, there's no cutaways and suddenly it becomes this weird Billy Crystal, Christopher Guest mm. kind of bit and then... <laughs> It's like they're doing too much tuna. <laughs> well, they do talk about a carp. It just beca- it becomes this whole like Nick Crow, <laughs> Sean Mulaney bit, and I'm just sitting here going like, "What is happening? Right. I don't remember this." They're talking. George C. Scott is telling this hilarious story about a carp, and he's oh, throwing great. in all these. It feels like this Timothy Carey routine where he's like, "Don't get me wrong, I don't." I don't have anything against the carp. It's a good fish. It's like, so, yeah. what is he signed? Is he doing a Costanza bit? It does feel like he's he's rehearsed this one a little <laughs> yeah, bit. It's such a there's weird like several vibe. like things. There's several scenes where people have clearly rehearsed what they've said. Yeah, in the in the movie, it's kind of a weird. Uh, but it feels dynamic. like a very uh, uh, the same way an actor would do little things to connect with a live audience. Mm-hmm. You throw in this little, you know, like, don't get me wrong. It's a, you know, it, it's a connection kind of thing. And it's weird. And I didn't expect the humor vibes. I don't wa- yeah. know why I didn't remember those. But well, it's such an odd relationship and a funny one. And the story is really funny. You don't think of George C. Scott as like a funny actor, I no. don't think. Even though he can be funny. And I, I want to say he's very funny in Dr. Strangelove. Oh Stuff yeah, like I that. mean, he, but <laughs> you just when he's this, he's like an old. He's very old at this point. Uh, <laughs> his face is very wrinkly and okay. squinty. But then he's delivering these like deadpan jokes at the same time. George C. Scott, man, in this movie, I could never tell if he was really thriving as a human <laughs> and like in good shape, or if he was a man who was rapidly dying. I had no right. idea from seed to seed if he was just like one of those. We've talked about the old noir movie fat guys who are also in good shape, maybe right. with high waisted slacks. They're just big fellas. I didn't know if he was just like a big, tough, cool guy who was like taking the stairs, or if he is a man who's like, this is almost it. I am. <laughs> this next one could kill. Like I don't know. Right. Because he's, yeah. He's, he's threading this needle. He's not very athletic at, at any point, but he's so strong <laughs> He's so with physical. His he's such this big presence. Yeah. He also had that thing where I couldn't tell if he was five foot seven or like six five. Right. Well, they're I always shooting him like kneecap yeah, up. Yeah, I don't know what his actual size is. He could be a, a fat 180 pound guy or like a linebacker. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He, he could, looked He could bold. be like a Thanksgiving Day Parade float. Like he could have been that big in like, some of those shots. It's the, he. I don't know. He's Kent Brockman. I don't know how big Kent Brockman is. Right. But it's that same. Is he 280? He could be 280. I don't know. 5'11", 280? That seems big, but he looks big. And it's such a kind of physical role without being physical. It's impressive. It He carries yeah. a lot of the movie, and he has to work with a lot of his own silence. Mm-hmm. The movie is quiet. Yes, it's uh, it takes its time. And it is for sure. 
such a bold choice for a guy who is do you like that that big dick move of the like written for the screen and directed by william peter like didn't he even say i maybe i it says it on the poster like william peter blatty's the exorcist Uh three like yeah this is is john carpenter-esque here with the based on the novel legion by blatty yeah, like, this is whoa, this is a bloody okay. joint. Yeah, for sure. we are. He is take. I love a director who will go out there and take all mm-hmm. of the flack. But yeah. yeah, it's not a uh, it's not a movie that is like inherent. Like like I don't know, Exorcist the original one is such a famous movie, right? It seems like crazy to try to <laughs> follow that in any way. I mean, almost even if even if of. you are the guy that wrote it. Almost unheard of within a, a serious critical audience. Yeah, to make a to make a critic excited for the third movie in a series, that's rare. For 1990, critics are not uh, going to be praising your third movie. Right. Yeah. Like, but uh, then at the at the same time, it's also right. The first half hour, 45 minutes is like long scenes of George C. Scott just looking at bodies under tarps. Yeah. Looking at the hand, size yeah. puts the tarp A real down. Profiler's detail. Walks around the body, goes to the next hand, <laughs> looks at the other hand, size again, confirms. Yeah, tarp down. You're like, this happens like four times in the movie, and then just him. But we but really get captiv- into the the rigmarole of his job. But it, I don't know, but man. He, it, He's so good at it, though. It has that that stage presence, you mm-hmm. know, where you're watching this show. It is that kind of a reach through the screen kind of performance. It's it's big, it's a it's a big showy performance, and it's kind of silly, and it's a little over the top. But yeah. it's it's uh it's captivating, and it feels that kind of stage connectivity. I just felt myself just catching and and absorbing every wince, every <laughs> sigh, was... every time that it, it, they would be like, he'd be like, "What's in the jars?" Like just even the quieter moments of just like, ah, the, the yeah he looks at you know the one body he's just like ah yeah the wincing the groaning fe- I just felt every one of those moments it was a really good uh, loud quiet role mm-hmm. <laughs> where he was good at being uh, loud while quiet well then he was when good he really at having his loud. outright flip outs yeah which some of his reactions he really had some some uh, know me <laughs> in showgirls. Oh, oh, sure, sure. Really uh, abusive uh, uh, rhetoric would, would just really cut off people, you know? Oh, yeah. Just screaming <laughs> at uh, Ed Lerner. But uh, I, I heard Blatty originally wanted John Carpenter to do this. Oh, And Carpenter really? was on board because the writing was, writing's great. Holy shit. It's a great script. And I'm picturing this movie, like, coming off of something like Prince of Darkness. Oh, yeah. The things he could do with this. But a carpenter started to get the vibe that it was pretty clear Blatty wanted to do this movie himself mm. and did not. He saw a, a conflict coming. So this personal project. Interesting. For Blatty, when you know he had Carpenter signed on, you can tell how much this guy wanted to put this on the screen. And it just makes me respect all of these bold choices and these drawn out scenes and these quiet scenes just tons tons of respectful choices here. and it, there's a skill to getting these performances just, yes just because you can't just turn a camera on and tell them to yeah do it just because you have george c scott or brad dorf like to get the the sweat out of them right so effectively yeah. uh it's that's commendable and, and i don't know yeah there's something commendable about a guy just being like this is my novel yeah i want to make it for the screen I'm making the my movie way. The, the way i want my words to be and it's weird Whew. and there's like a a dream sequence where scott's in like a oh, train man. station in heaven or some shit yeah and it's like With the this is a weird can- shit yeah, man the, for like a theatrical film it gets very like a european kind of movie on the weirdest vibes in this movie, just like that's why I love all with these giant choices. Classic wings and cloaks, and but the movie looks beautiful. It is yeah. filmed expertly. If if either he was incredibly talented himself, or he knew exactly who to hire to put his vision up there, because this is definitely a man's vision <laughs> in a good yeah. way. 
This is definitely his vision, clearly. And the dream sequence is so odd with the cameos from Fabio and oh, Fabio. Samuel L. Jackson. This is 1990 Sam Jackson. He's yeah. a guy. He's he, been in he, stuff. He's in Goodfellas. Was he the guy with the headphones? Because there the, was he was the blind man, like sitting at a, a table. Okay. As he walks by, and then Patrick Ewing's there. <laughs> right. You know. So it's this great dream sequence that you're pulling these memories of George C. Scott. I, the Pat, Patrick Ewing was a Georgetown player. Oh. A star college player for Georgetown. So you think that was actually supposed to be Patrick to. Ewing in the dream? Yeah. Oh, I love that. I think, I think it had to be. It had to be that thing in a dream where you're putting the faces that you know onto whatever scene is happening. Right. But he's then he to, sees you know, his friend and, and he's, his friend says, I'm not dreaming. Yeah. It's a great scene. Oh, it creepy. feels silly Against. when you're like Fabio, but Fabio was very uh, omnipresent at the time. That makes sense. And so I like this idea of George C. Scott just seeing these faces that are embedded in his brain from current events and whatever. Mm. Just seeing these people and putting their images onto whatever's happening. It's a cool way of telling your story and super impressively executed by Blatty. So this guy's made, what, two movies? Ninth Configuration and Exorcist 3 both have some of the most memorable, striking developments in them that I've seen. It's very, super cool. Very memorable moments yeah. in this movie. Patrick so many. Ewing, by the way, is is billed as the Angel of Death. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Timothy Not Car- just any angel. Timothy Carey in DC Cab was also billed as the Angel of Death. <laughs> so Patrick Ewing and Timothy Carey have both portrayed the same character. On film. Holy shit. Did you know you were seeing big screen Patrick Ewing? I forgot that he was. I wanted never the Exorcist that 3 Space Jam double feature. I was going to say, before, yeah, this is pre Space Jam. <laughs> so. He's an accredited actor, Patrick <laughs> Ewing. He's probably in that one where Billy Crystal plays a referee. <laughs> oh, definitely. Definitely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Damn, we gotta knock out some more Patrick Ewing. This started. Oh, no. I so we're there. Did you hear Tim's reaction? <laughs> oh, I heard Tim when he when he saw Patrick our Ewing. Buddy Tim, who's definitely our most sports involved friend, watches every sport ever. Yep. And Patrick Ewing shows up at an angel, and Tim is somewhere in the darkness is just like, "Oh boy." <laughs> <laughs> Exorcist 3 was just getting them. He's hooking all audiences. But it feels like this very Shakespearean play. Once they get past this comedy and George C. Scott almost having these comedic, not, not like he's doing comedy or trying to get a laugh, but more that he's just seen this shit and he's tired of seeing this shit. And it kind of comes off comedic in some Mm. ways. It's such a cool, weird performance. And then the performances just keep getting better throughout the movie the cameos keep getting more impressive until we're leading up to jason miller and brad dorif and if i hadn't have been blown away with how blatty's framed these shots in the movie i think that's got to be the peak of the movie right those to few... jump ahead a, a bit oh to, yeah no to him tracking this gemini killer because again the first hour yeah is basically this guy looking for the gemini killer or yeah. a copycat who has taken on because the Gemini killer's been dead for 15 years. Yeah. Then we start to suspect that someone in the mental ward where some of the killings are taking place may be the Gemini killer. Yeah, it really is supposed to be a direct sequel, yeah. like 18 years after the ex- the events in The Exorcist. Right, we eventually learn, just to spoil it all real quick, yeah. that the... <laughs> Go the, watch this movie, it's, the, it's yeah, available. It's, it's out there. It's out there. The, the patient who is now suspected of making these... Uh, these copycat killings is actually Father Damien from the first movie. Yeah, who has been uh, essentially possessed by the Gemini killer. Once he f- it's threw the, himself it's the... down those steps, he dies. The Gemini killer enters his body, takes yeah. him fifteen years to get it back to working order, <laughs> right. and then it's a long plan. Uh, Legion refers to we are many. Uh, it's it's a satanic uh, okay. a devil thing. Uh, cool shit. Demon shit, yeah. Yeah, cool devil so shit. So the idea then is that uh, I, either the Gemini killer or the demons that are helping him yeah. can transport into these other comatose 
or uh, catatonic bodies to carry out these killings. Okay. <laughs> sure. That's good shit. Yeah, dude. The devil's uh, taken over a, a, a man on earth so the, to do yeah, killings. The real centerpiece of this film is these interrogation scenes where George C. Scott is talking to Father Damien, yeah. who he seems to know or have known in the past. It's This whole movie is just George C. Scott getting these great one-on-one acting showdowns right. with other cool actors. Totally. The whole movie is that. And some of them George C. Scott takes over, but a lot of them he lays quiet. No, he sits there great reacting, observer. barely yeah. observing. Yeah, these two long Brad Dorif monologues are some of the most powerful, incredible acting. Yeah. in a movie, genuinely award worthy. Oh, totally. Which, which, at least supporting actor kind of stuff. Oh, definite supporting actor. What What's crazy is that Blatty did not want Jason Miller in the movie. He didn't mm. need that. The studio wanted one guy from the original. Gotcha. The actual actor from the, the actual original. actor yeah. from the from the original. So that's why he wrote in the story about Karis coming back and uh, him interacting with him. He didn't want to use that. Oh. So the editing in these scenes is already so incredible and so well done. The voice editing where Brad Dorif and Karis's voice keep changing. Yes. All within mid-sentence changing. The sound some, design in this whole sound movie. Sound design, the editing, crazy it good. is so incredible and so effective and sometimes so minimal that you aren't sure if your brain's tricking you into thinking his voice changed. Right. You don't know how much Brad Dorif was making his own voice change cuz a lot of times he didn't sound quite like Brad Dorif can sound. But you didn't know how much was being manipulated. You didn't know how many voices were being overlaid. It right. was all very chilly. And it was so damn silent during these scenes. It was like 10 minutes of people just sitting in a theater staring. Just watching Not dude blinking just at yell. Brad Dorif. Yeah. How few actors get the chance to just command that much consecutive screen time. It's something, you know. Mm-hmm. That's like role of a lifetime kind of stuff. And Brad Dorf has had one of the That's coolest a, it's lifetime perfect, careers. Yeah, it's a perfect Brad Dorf slot to put him in. Yeah. I, I think it's really commendable, too, that Blatty, he goes from Jason Miller to Brad Dorf. So it, mm-hmm. the, the character, same, essentially the same character, but you get to see Father and then the Gemini killer who's taking him over. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought I think it's a very like kind of risky maneuver to just suddenly pop Brad Dorif into the well, into the. Here's scene. the thing, so according to Brad Dorif, Jason Miller couldn't do the part because he was deeply into uh, alcoholism at this point and oh, he really? couldn't do a long monologue. Mm. He can only do a couple lines at a time. So he said Blatty had to get creative and do the editing in because he had to hire Dorif later to do the full monologue. Gotcha. So he wow. so Dorif's story is that it was a total editing job by Blatty, but Blatty's never said that himself. I feel like I maybe only heard Dorif yeah, said that. That sounds familiar now. Thinking like I feel like that's a story I heard where Dorif was like, "Yeah, I got called in for like a weekend <laughs> yeah. and just like knocked just out these absolutely scenes, killed it." After, like, everyone else had done their work. The 100% most memorable part of the whole movie, just after everything else was done. Just a couple days of work. But it's telling that apparently in the director's cut, this is huge. There is no Jason Miller. Oh. It is just Brad Dorff. That's Jason Miller erasure. Yes. Interesting. So, Blatty, I could not find anything he's ever said about it. Hmm. But it's amazing how incredible those scenes come off. When it sounds like a guy was piecing together whatever footage he had of both guys, makes it, it even came more impressive. So scary, yeah, and so so much of a mind fuck, you know, it's so much more intense. Uh, eventually, I'll probably see the director's cut because I am curious. I'm curious. I yeah. obviously like the man's output, but I don't know. I really like the inclusion of Jason Miller. As, as I Damien did too. Harris. I like that uh, pull from that first movie, that presence, mm-hmm. and the fact that it kept leading into these incredible Brad Dorif scenes. It was like, whew, I thought it was incredible. I think it's the best part of the movie, hands down. It was had a whole theater in thrall, yeah. silence. But the movie is cool. The movie builds in weird ways and 
gets into your psyche in ways that you aren't really expecting. You know, uh, it builds up tension really well because it does this humor. Mm-hmm. It has George C. Scott being kind of silly and you let your guard down a little bit. Well, it's, it, yeah, that's very good at, at keeping that vibe going without you expecting it. Yeah, it feels very real. Like these feel like real characters. Yes. And I think a lot of the work up front of them just having these casual seeming conversations uh, goes a long way for that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just the personal nature, like you buy how personal this is for George C. Scott. Definitely. Uh, his friend is one of the victims and knowing Father Karras and seeing that he's this guy who's been... Yeah, locked up and yeah, not taken yeah. over by the. Gemini I like that killer. they really took. I like the fact that they made it a real time uh, movie in relation to the other. Mm-hmm. You know, this is these people have aged. I love the whole story of Brad Dorf telling the backstory of what happens. Yes, and how he's floating in. He gets executed as the Gemini killer. Describes being in a void and meeting the <laughs> friends. Yeah, and be and just the whole way he goes. <laughs> the the story he tells about. The caretaker who saw Father Karras's body get out of the casket, right? Stuff like that was just really so filling juicy. in just these these juicy details of and, this story. Yeah, I I know in movies you're supposed to show and not tell, but this is like the best example of a movie that tells because yes. you never see under the tarp when you see the bodies. But man, they tell you <laughs> everything that happens. Scott's to reaction, you, you know, we talked about these long reactions, and they are they really are him slowly disgustedly looking, not wanting to look, having to look. Mm-hmm. We're just seeing his reaction. We're not seeing the gore. Yeah. You know, we might see a missing finger. We aren't seeing any awful facial gore or anything like that. We're just seeing his reaction. Right. And it's strong. But then it's you're really getting good. like conversations where it's like her body was then stuffed with foreign materials. And Scott has to go, foreign materials? <laughs> Rosaries. <laughs> Yeah. Her body was stuffed with rosaries. You're like, Jesus Christ. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Awful. Disgusting. This guy is having to ask questions he's sick of asking. Oh, I love that. But Born material. There was also this weird vibes. There was this thing that stood out to me. These. That's why I kept thinking, like, is this the one with extra footage? Because these seem like jokes that would be cut. Brad Dorif, in one of the most captivating, like, can't take your eyes off Brad Dorif in mm-hmm. this scene. In fact, it's tough when they cut to that beautiful long shot of of Scott on one side of the cell and Dorif on the other, slumped in his bed, and you see the space between them. It's like I don't know who to pick to watch right now. <laughs> right. Watching both of these guys like small minimalist act off each other. Like, come on, gotta yeah. focus. But then there was this weird scene where George C. Scott's asking him, he's suspecting that he's getting into other people's cells. Right. He's hosting these bodies and getting other people to do his bidding. But he doesn't know how he's doing it. And Brad Dorf almost like smiles at the camera and says, It's child's play. I'm like, yeah. what? And then we what cut the f- to a redheaded kid. That looks yeah. That, that we've never little, seen before we, in the movie. Yeah. Just a first appearance of some looks little a lot Chucky, like Chucky kid. Yeah. What? That's a weird kind of. That's the only. He kind looks of, right at the camera for that. Line yes, too, it's the weirdest he? thing. Yeah, it is so strange. We are sitting there dead on in the screen, and he's just looking at us, going, mm, "Child's play." <laughs> it's like, he, what? That kind. Of, that's the kind of dumb self-referential shit that all of today movies are filled with. Oh yeah, like you can't have the you know some Avenger making that kind of joke to another Avenger. But wouldn't Child's Play have just been like one year before like this? like two years before. Uh, yeah. Tops. <laughs> and and it's not like Brad, Brad Doris' voice was a big part of Child's Play. Yeah. A voice that it's not like he was doing in Exorcist no. 3. He suddenly doesn't turn into Chucky's voice to say that line no, or anything. No, he doesn't sound... His voice does not sound anything like Chucky, but we had to get a clearly intentional Child's Play reference yeah. in. Two of them? What? <laughs> That was so weird. That was a strange moment. I kind of liked it, but it was so weird. And it just kind of made me buy into the weirdness of the movie. Mm-hmm. But the the scares are effective. The famous scare. There's a famous big jump scare. Yes. That's the one that I always heard about. The scissors coming down the hallway. And and I, I hate the demonization of jump scares. Mm-hmm. I think we've talked about that several times here. I like getting scared. It's fun when something makes me jump when there's no consequences 
other than being momentarily startled. Right. That's fun. <laughs> if a movie can if make it's me done jump, well. yeah. sure. You did it. It's it's fun. Mm-hmm. I like jump scares. I, I don't get the demonization of them. I get the I get the screaming, running at the camera thing. Yeah, it's been done a lot. Sometimes right. it makes me jump. Oh well, that's fun. And so this movie to have a famous jump scare in a world where they've been so demonized, <laughs> a, a, a beloved, a celebrated beloved jump square, yeah, jump scare. Uh, uh, the one where fat guys go, "This is how they did it right. <laughs> this is how they do. This is the only good one." The gatekeepers all, this is the thing you have to reference. And we're here to tell you they're right. No. <laughs> it's cool. It's cool because it's so like, I'm like choking on my popcorn because it does, you don't totally expect it. They do the, well, it's they do so, the great fog double fake out. Yeah. It's so drawn out too. Yeah. The scene. It's four or five minutes long. That even when you do it. know it's coming, like I, I am, yeah, I was like waiting for it the whole movie. The movie, the music is slowly pitched up over the span of five minutes. And then when you finally get to the scene, it's a long shot down a hallway. You get a, yeah, you get the fake fog style jump scare in the hospital yeah. patient a nurse room. Slowly going into a door, slow, you know, hearing a noise. God, it's all so drawn out. It feels like Carpenter. Right. It's funny that he wanted Carpenter. This feels super Carpenter. This feels exactly like a great Carpenter scene. And her slowly, you know, inspecting this noise. Not many things I dislike more in life than inspecting noises. Mm -hmm. I hate it. I never want to hear noises that I don't expect to hear. It's the worst. I don't care what hour of the day it is. Yeah. I never look forward to inspecting a noise. I, I mind my business, all right? If a noise in another room wants to happen, <laughs> that's not my concern. Yeah, well, I wasn't going in there anyhow. <laughs> so, uh, her long room check, nothing appears to be the matter. You get a great doctor getting woken up from his sleep. An, a cup of ice melting. Yeah, the clinking <laughs> that she hears is ice melting. Yeah, you get the oh fake out gosh. harmless scare of the yeah the patient who gets woken up. No, or, it's yeah. a doctor trying to catch a nap. Oh, is that okay? Uh, gotcha. Yeah, trying to find a dark room. Uh, man, the doctors were crazier than the patients in this movie. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and then you get her going all the way back to the nurse's station, hearing another noise. Like, and then yeah, then you realize you've been suckered into this five minute build mm-hmm. to the jump scare not just a sudden scream like we get those shears coming into play that, yeah. those hr th- those are geiger that's right that's those that? are not that's not a real kind of yeah, that's not a real instrument that's yeah. not an actual medical instrument giant bone clipping shears like that god uh, and they're going through how to the coroner cut we get yeah. a, an all another oh, all-time good. great movie coroner always with the creepy coroner such an impeccably have we ever seen a poorly cast coroner no i don't think i've ever seen a coroner with the bad vibe <laughs> they always nail the coroner there's a million weirdos lined up that can be a coroner i guess mm-hmm. i think i love every movie coroner i think i'm real if you give me a movie that has a coroner i think i'm in we should do a new segment like our film coroner <laughs> yeah our favorite coroner <laughs> get a ranked coroner's list going oh, oh yeah there's already too many contenders oh man again never seen a loser if if anybody has seen a movie with a bad coroner, please let us know. <laughs> do you want? Do you want next, to know? That's the next movie I want to watch because okay. I don't think it can happen. Well, you should see Bad Coroner then. Yeah, famous <laughs> with Robert De Niro comedy. Within those, yeah. <laughs> Is that Cameron it? Diaz and Robert De Niro are Bad Shit, Coroner. Man, that would that would really that would shut me up. If I saw a trailer for that, it's like, well, they went and did it. They did it. <laughs> they finally Crazy did it. Crazy son of a bitch did it. <laughs> I should have shut up. But, oh, God. The, yeah, the nun. The weird. So, yeah. I always ask, I always put you on the spot. So, as a Catholic. Oh, yeah. Does this religious imagery, because this does not hit me as you hard. You know, I think I've talked before about how I get into yeah. religious horror movies right. because of my, yeah, maybe because of the upbringing or I just, yeah, it's Is it telling that to... I get more into cult movies? <laughs> it's telling that you're like movies. really into the rape revenge movies <laughs> and I'm into the religious. <laughs> That's a... I can't do that. No, I'm sorry. You can't help me like that. I'll take Jeez, that back. Man. I'll take that back. <laughs> <laughs> no, we but did, we did one Death Wish sequel on this podcast. Exactly. All right, man. <laughs> Never gonna hear the end of it. But you insisted. No. 
I did. No, I, did. I, I love demon stuff. Okay. I, I'm truly terrified of the thought that that's a real thing. Okay. That like if so you, you die you get into the heaven and hell. I I think that's like the, the scariest possible outcome of death is that you could actually have an afterlife. Yeah. That seems far more terrifying than just the lights go out. Yeah. And you are at peace. Yeah, man. Kind of G- a thing. Ghost story messed me up. Oh, just anything ghost like that. that just lives through several eternities. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh my god. No, thank you. Oh man, that was that was terrifying. But I would almost I rather be just a ghost than silence. than to be like you're a ghost and also there's immortal demons that yeah love demons being in the mix are cruel. worse. Like demons the idea in the mix that that, automatically a worse scenario. That's some scary stuff to me. So I get into that for sure. I, I, I get into heaven and hell, but the religious iconography doesn't doesn't always hit me as hard. This one uh, is weird with the iconography because yeah. there's a lot of crucifixes. But then it's like a wooden statue of Jesus whose like eyes open up and yeah. like he's, his bl- mouth opens up and then there's blood coming out we of the statues. We do get, first time I've ever seen, we get blackface Jesus. Wow, that's a choice. Yeah, I don't think I've seen them do blackface You want to talk about Jesus. bold choices that Blatty makes in this movie. Going uh, bamboozled on the we Jesus get, statue is... He makes a wow. lot of very... This feels like kind of a gonzo early 70s like a robert downey senior kind of movie yeah in a lot of ways the kind of low budget uh watermelon man kind of weird <laughs> movie yeah. like weird, weird thing to put in there because there's some racial stuff but not really like yeah. it didn't have to go there didn't have to but it did they opted to uh, yeah, they and they first, leaned into it. Well, I love that they first describe it. Like I was saying, they describe everything. So yeah. they they thoroughly yeah, you, get, you get the idea of this visual. Thoroughly and then it describe, just gives you the visual, and then at the end you get to see that. Yeah, you get to see it. And weird stuff. So I've never seen that before. Mm-hmm. And so Blatty really chose some striking shit to put in there and let his actors do cool acty stuff. I love Scott Wilson as kind of a I don't know swishy. Super, Doctor, super neurotic character. Very, uh, that's never seen anyone smoke cigarettes like that. Oh man, that's very, a very uh, like again. Choices were made, and and I love it. I love that they were. I just the only real way this movie felt David Lynch to me was the Scott Wilson scene. Mm. Scott Wilson felt right out of a, a Blue Velvet kind of character. I can see this that short cigarette constantly held like up to his mouth, but not. But you don't also don't totally see him smoking, not like the yeah. smoking man who's just ripping through cigarettes, man. <laughs> Smoke just, just constantly coming out the nostrils, through, man. Yeah, and uh, you get this weird long scene though of of him chain smoking and lighting the next cigarette, and they really treat it like a junkie preparing a spoon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they're well, really they, making it sound like his chain smoking is the worst. He spends habit. a full thirty seconds putting out the old one. Yeah. And yeah, and then you look around in his rooms. Just got his his office, his doctor's office. Big portrait of him, of course, <laughs> portrait, as you God. do. But then like just a bunch of weird like boobs and like cult imagery and stuff. Like yeah, dude, his um... office is is a sick ass doctor's <laughs> just, office, man. You're getting just an ashtray filled to the brim with butts. Oh, like thirty newspapers. His creepy own, stuff. His own dictator portrait. Yeah. If I. Got to the point of 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 being an actor who got to be a character in a movie who had his own portrait. That would be that's like a huge joy knocked off the bucket right. list there. Now you, you got to wonder if he as an actor was like, "Can I have that?" Oh, how would you not? That's got to be how the would contract, you not right? insist on that? I don't think that's an egotistical thing. If there's anybody did a painting of me, I think I would want it. Right. Let alone if it was going to be in a movie I was in. How cool would that be? Yeah, that's funny. And so he's got this, but it's this very dictator vibe in the photo, and he's very then this like not neurotic. He always played it almost, like I said, John Waters or mm. Dean Stockwell in Blue Velvet. Very had this cool but neurotic vibe to him. Total choice, total trusted actor choice. Yeah, that I think is awesome. It's a weirdo character. And you needed a weirdo kind of performance. Mm-hmm. Scott Wilson gave a very different kind of lead weirdo performance in Ninth Fi- Configuration. So I love this idea of Blatty a decade later going, got to get Wilson. Oh, I yeah. know. That's why I love that five, six of the guys that were in Ninth Configuration are in this. It's him. I love a director working with a stock company. Mm-hmm. 
I always get into those movies more. It feels Cassavetes. feels like Eastwood using all of his guys, Bill McKinney and Paul Coslow. And just, you work with who you know. Mm-hmm. You pump out these cool movies that's, that, you know, you can just run through. It's great. It's getting the band back together. Well, it's, and you, it comes off g- so much more of a uh, comfortable vibe delivering this material. And it's tough material. Maybe that, yeah, that that's why it was so it felt so natural in so many of these conversations. Yeah, this was because, some heady stuff. Oh yeah. They get deep and that could be a barrier to an audience and it wasn't. You could tell the silence wasn't people bored. People were engaged. Mm-hmm. People were into this movie. Uh I I heard people buzzing in the hallway about Brad Dorif. How cool is that? In 2021 where you can hear just strangers right all a flutter about how great like, who was that guy? And, you know, the people that stayed. And I heard somebody exclaim when, you know, his name came by in the credits. Like, who is this? Mm. He's such a important part of so many generations of movies and genres. Incredible career. So many people can know him for, you know, Lord of the Rings. I was just thinking, of, yeah. <laughs> that, you know, they would have never seen him in any horror stuff or, you know, Deadwood. Or right. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Whoa. Yeah. Nothing but an incredible 45, 50-year run doing every kind of movie and always being the most memorable scene in these movies. What was that Stephen King one with the rats? Is that Night Shift? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's incredible oh, is he? in I, that. I think and he's in I'm it about as one. much as he's in Exorcist 3. Same thing. Mm. Shows up an hour in, totally steals everything in the movie, <laughs> and then God takes off. Him. He's incredible. Oh, I love the guy. And, man, is this the first time we've even talked about him? No better movie to go in on. Mm. This is one of the finest roles an actor. Like I said, what other kind of movies can you chew up this much screen time with no score behind you, just you acting? And a lot of those scenes could have been done with George C. Scott not even in the room. A lot of those could have just been him reacting off nothing. And it's just such a powerful one-man show but knowing that it was pieced and cobbled together with these jason miller parts and stayed effectively intense the whole way through what a centerpiece of a movie yeah it was such a powerful thing that i it almost made me not care about <laughs> the resolution of well, the movie it felt yeah, like this i know what you mean these powerful moments with brad dorif make you answer and ask so many questions about you as a man mm-hmm. and you, how you relate to other humans. It's just like, well, I don't know. Everything else just seems kind of small. Maybe there are demons out there, I guess. <laughs> well, the What whole, am I going to do about this? The whole plot is so freaking ridiculous. Yes. Like, when you really think about it's it. It's taking everything impressively so, straight-faced for stuff that's flat-out ridiculous. Yeah, the fact that it's playing it so straight. Yeah, and and convincingly, convincingly, straight. and creep, and it's effective when it's scary, and it's mm-hmm. creepy, and it's uh, yeah, like you said, <laughs> makes you think. It it was it was a movie I was thinking about last night. Yeah, I did not sleep that much last night. No, I was, I was thinking it, a lot about. I was about really this thinking movie. about it. it. It's it's gonna stick with me. And it's, uh, there, yeah, there's just the visuals so many... are so strong, and the dialogue yeah. is so uh, intense and involving. It really is a success for being such a strikingly weird choice. Yeah. in a lot of ways. And I also think it's it it it's not just a bunch of good parts. The no. whole thing as a you know it feels the sum very... of its parts is it's a yeah. Yeah, good point. I don't think it's just like oh I hadn't there's thought these of that good how scenes. cohesive it all is. It really could feel like a director filming solo scenes with just his favorite actors mm-hmm. and then piecing them. Yeah. That's why we talked about the editing in the Jason Miller scenes. The editing throughout had to be strong. Because it couldn't feel like something that was just pieced together. Mm-hmm. It introduced new actors as previously existing characters. This thing had to flow cohesively. And it took so many tonal shifts that it could have been choppy as hell. Well, tonal shifts and uh, just a pretty convoluted plot. Yes. Hard, hard to follow. Difficult to understand. Uh, but you don't tonal mind shifts. That. You don't, you, Overacting. You're along for the ride. You know? A lot of things could have knocked somebody out of this movie, but I just kept myself really like mm-hmm. more intensely getting into it. And again, feeling being in that room where you can tell just a bunch of other movie-going fans are seeing acting. Like, people are saying, oh, this is 
good acting. <laughs> when people notice good acting, whatever it is, I like it. Yeah. I like when acting strikes somebody. It moves them. That's yeah. cool. I like that. I watch movies to be moved by acting. And you could tell Brad Dorif moved people <laughs> in that room. Yeah, you could tell people were, were deeply into this movie. The scene where you see the old lady crawling on the ceiling. Oh, yeah. You, that, you, that was you heard her- people like going like, okay, oh, no. Uh, like, that was getting hereditary People were kind freaking of out. That's such a freaky, like the uh-huh. lady just crawling a little I didn't too think fast. We, I didn't think we were going, oh. The crab walking scene in oh, the, man. In the yeah. first one. Man. He's like, well, yeah, he's like, oh. oh, you're gonna cut my crab walking scene in the first one. I'll put it in. The first time I saw the first Exorcist was when they did that, the version you've never seen. Oh re-release. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I saw that in the theater when they did I, that. I, yeah. yeah, I went to. The, so that's the first time I had seen it, and that crab walking man. Nothing. I don't think anything had chilled me in my life. <laughs> Up and hearing the skittering before you see it. Oh man. That stayed with me. That stayed with me. And I'm liking the reactions we were getting to that ceiling walking scene. It was feeling like those people are going to be thinking about that. People were freaking out a little bit, yeah. And it feels now like you see that probably in every Conjuring movie, (laughs) in every kind of film in that universe. It always looks digital as hell. The timing doesn't feel right. It feels too sped up. It feels too fake. This is 1990. So you knew they were having to do editing trickery. And it just adds to it. It adds to it in the same way that Elm Street, <laughs> you know, sure. getting thrashed around Seen on the ceiling. Tina and, get uh, thrashed around. Yeah, yeah. Same, same kind of way. Those scenes really hit me in this. Oh, I love this era of horror. Yeah. Really, that strong, strong era for me. And it's so engaging. It's such an interesting movie. It's a movie with a lot of things to say. And a lot of it can feel like a guy kind of bullshitting at the bar. Mm. <laughs> you know, George C. Scott's kind of, he's not only trying to just exist and survive, he's trying to atone. It's a complicated character. Mm-hmm. He's got weight on him, you know? <laughs> His f- kind of final monologue where he's pinned against the wall saying, yeah. I believe in cruelty and, and anger and hate and yeah, just letting out all this ugliness that... Because he is so much of this this world, this real world. Yeah. That's so much of what he sees and believes in. The movie is so reflective. The movie, like I said, if you're watching this too intensely, it's, it, it makes you ask questions about, yeah. you know, what you think life is and what you think the goal is and what you do to exist. And it's tough. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard questions to ask that we all have to ask ourselves. And George C. Scott handles it in a very interesting way. And you get this sense of anguish and torture. And he feels like a real character. He's an eccentric character, but he feels real. Uh, you get to see a little of his home life with his wife, Zora Lampert. Yes. <laughs> and she gets a couple of fun scenes. Who we talked about with uh, Let's Scare Jessica to Death. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, again, getting populating this movie with actors that can carry powerful mm-hmm. roles, but not necessarily giving them powerful roles. You know, it's, it's cool. Don Gordon. As uh, his cop, one of his cop buddies. Mm. Maybe the oldest thing I've seen Don Gorman. He's the man with the cleft chin and the ponytail, the silver hair pulled back. One of his analysis guys. Yeah, uh, everybody in here is kind of a familiar and, uh, face. You know, a lo- and that's like the latest I've seen Don Gordon movie. But he's in mm. a lot of the Dirty Harry movies and oh, ubiquitous yeah. TV actor. Just so many cool actors in every scene doing this one-on-one great acting great roles for everybody and it's all due to the script and the directing i i'm pretty blown away honestly Mm -hmm. it's kind of incredible that he did not direct more because the two films that he's done i think are incredible and you know his screenwriting is is so good too it's i don't know if it's the case of no those were my ideas (laughs) <laughs> like that was it i had two I, very good right ones. he's like i wrote a couple of uh yeah religious horror books and it, i don't know you know i could see it being something where um maybe like you said there's the the director's cut and he had to include this exorcism in this sequel and yeah the maybe, exorcism the movie ends on is maybe he goes to every other pitch meeting after exorcist 3 and they just want more of that you know right and he can't seem to get any other idea going yeah, I Man. could see him getting pitched. You think like if that. he was able to get John Carpenter interested in this project, that it's weird we wouldn't have gotten a project from them in, you know, ninety three. 
you know, a John Carpenter-directed movie with a blatty script. Right. Like, we could have gotten that explored in a different movie. It feels like a, a Carpenter, you know, a Prince of Darkness sequel would have been very easy for Blatty to do. It's a weird missed connection when there apparently was a connection. But this guy had great ideas and knew how to make those ideas look amazing on the screen. This whole movie is a real uh, visual stunner. Yeah. It is, it is very impressive. And I get why it didn't get awards or <laughs> nomination consideration. Again, it's silly. Godfather 3 was even very silly to get awards. <laughs> that felt silly to everyone. Everyone acknowledged that was weird. Sure. But it's an it's an impressive feat. This is a this is a great film. You said you said you said you saw this in high school? No, I or saw no, it. you had a teacher that uh I, I yeah, I feel like I had it. heard about it. Okay. Uh maybe maybe not high school, maybe college, maybe early 20s. But yeah. like I said, it had built this rep of right. like actually the third one's good. Sure. And it gets, yeah, it gets better. It's uh it's it lives up to the hype. It on does that, on that front. Uh, the director's cut made another major change outside of Jason Miller is that the whole final exorcism is not in the movie. Because again, Blatty did not want or need an exorcism in this movie. Right. The studio wanted that. But the exorcism is like a four or five million dollar scene. It looks great. So the director's cut, he says, nope. <laughs> Don't need that. That's part of why it's so much shorter. He just lops off the final four minutes. Well, then I really have to see how it ends because that yeah, is the ending of the, the movie. That's the whole ending of this movie. So uh, so does does George C. Scott in the other version just kind of come in and shoot the guy and that's I don't it? know. Maybe. Hmm. What else could he be? Is there a whole extra four minutes of George C. Scott? I don't know. I just read that the whole exorcism was cut because he didn't want it. And that's the ending of the movie. But again, Laddie. I get it because the whole priest character that gets introduced into this movie is probably the only character in the movie that feels not necessary. Yeah. Doctor or a uh, mourning. Father mourning. Father mourning. Yeah. He's he really the only I mean doesn't a really get much fine to performance. Do. We but see him for a minute why? and then he comes in at the end for the exorcism. Yeah. And then disappears, like literally disappears. I don't know where that guy went in the room. Yeah. I don't remember seeing him. He did the exorcism and then just vanished, I guess. So you, they totally right, forgot to even keep go. him around on set. I don't know. It was such a... So I get why all that was cut, because it feels like something that they're like, no, this has to be in the movie. Right. Feels not needed. So I, the cuts sound like, if we're getting the vibe of what he's doing, sounds like his instincts are good. Hmm. So I should see the director's cut. But it's a cool movie. and It's out there. It's on the services. If you've not seen Exorcist 3, because... Again, it's the third exorcist. Do it. Do it, please. I could see it For I us. could see it being in the discussion of the first one. Different feels, different total different goals, just as ambitious mm. and just as well executed in what it wanted to put up there. So see for yourself. I could see this being one I watch more than the original. I could see it. Um Yeah. Yeah. I could see that for sure. I've seen them probably equal. At this point, I could easily see seeing the director's cut next to this, so it right. makes sense. And it's it deserves that. That's not to diss the original at all. Original is a classic for a reason. Mm-hmm. But there's a reason this one's been getting more and more hype over the last decade. Check it out. It came to this. It did come to this. I'm Eric. I'm Charlie. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Good night. <laughs>